All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. You're listening to the Jason Greger Show presented by PlayAlberta.ca, your digital home for online gaming excitement, including casino, live dealer, lottery instance, and sport betting. Sign up today at PlayAlberta.ca. Vancouver, Manny, how you doing? Um, well, Jason, the Vancouver Canucks went away for 10 years as well. Um, <laughs> time they were any good, the McRib was a thing in its first incarnation. So. <laughs> oh, I like that. Um, hey, oh. thanks, uh, thanks for having me on the show, buddy. Uh, this is the first time that I've joined you in some time, so I do want to start by, on a more serious note, um, offering my condolences and sympathies to the friends and family of John Short and Robin Brownlee. Uh, didn't, didn't know John other than reputationally, uh, but certainly did many of these hits with Robin riding shotgun with you and always enjoyed our interactions. So I know it was a tough week there a few weeks back for everybody in Edmonton and the media corps to lose two guys like that in such quick succession. So my sympathies and condolences to everyone there. Well, we appreciate that, Manny. Yeah, thanks. Uh, Yeah, Bronte was a good dude. And, of course, uh, John, a great mentor for me, for sure. Now, you mentioned the Canucks uh, maybe haven't been at the top for 10 years. I was trying to – is this the first time, like, maybe in 2010 or 11, they might have been leading the NHL at the All-Star break. But, like, they're playing really well. And I keep reading some, you know, people, ah, you know, they're a little concerned about how much they give up. And maybe there's some validity to that. Uh, where do you come out on, on this Canucks team? Because from the outside, I really haven't seen any significant sort of dip. Maybe they've had a few games where they're bad defensively, but they still find ways to win. They're the only team in the NHL that has not lost three games in a row. 
And that is astonishing because they used to lead the league in three-game losing streaks or, or even or even worse than this. You know, at the beginning of the season, the president of hockey operations here, Jim Rutherford, Jim Rutherford acknowledged, and quite accurately and honestly, that pretty much everything would have to go right for the Vancouver Canucks to make the playoffs and be the sort of team that they hoped they could be. And Jason, I'm here to tell you that pretty much everything has gone right. I mean, they've been an incredibly healthy hockey club. Their star players have not missed any time. Um, they have been an incredible PDO team. I mean, they get a chance, they finish a chance, and then they give up a great A, and somehow, some way, they get uh, more than your fair share of saves from Thatcher Demko and Casey DeSmith, who's been really good as a backup goaltender as well. You can check it. You may have it in front of uh, in front of you there, but they just got passed by Colorado as the highest-scoring team in the league. They're scoring 3.8 goals per night. And the last time I checked, I want to say they ranked somewhere around 28th or 27 in shots on goal per game. So, yeah. like, just think of that dichotomy and think of, you know, where you stand right now as the – as the top team in the National Hockey League by points, by points percentage, by regulation wins, by goal differential heading into the All-Star break. It has truly been an extraordinary 50 games here in Vancouver. Well, Sakaris Jones, yeah, second in goals and uh, 27th in shots on goal yeah. per game. So, uh, and I may, hey, maybe they just don't weigh shots and they, they only take a lot of high danger ones. Uh, who well, knows? that's it. I mean, yeah. that is uh, that is a little bit of, of of what they do. And, you know, the other thing I should add when we talk about just how good they've been is Rick Tockett came in a year ago and said, look, we're going to have to play a more structured system. Uh, a more predictable system. Everybody on the ice is going to need to know what the other guys are doing or at least what their responsibilities are. And this stands as one of the great coaching jobs that I've seen in this sport because he has taken a completely undisciplined group of players who would cheat for their own offense and not be in the right place and didn't play with any kind of structure or system or predictability. And he has turned them into a group that is absolutely letter perfect most nights in terms of the way he wants them to play. So, um, you know, there, there are a lot of plaudits and accolades to go around to a lot of people with the Vancouver Canucks right now, but perhaps the most deserve to go to this head coach who I would like to think is your Jack Adams front runner at this point in the season. Matt, Nils Hoglander and Connor Garland. Yeah, those guys look a lot more comfortable out there. They're playing with confidence. Do you think that's a coaching thing as well, or is it just with Hoaglander? I mean, you know, he was coming into his own anyway, but last season he really looked lost at times, and yeah. specifically him. Like, I'm pretty impressed. Do you think it's a coaching thing? Uh, I, I do, and incidentally, Terry, congratulations on your recent headlines. Fantastic work there. Thanks a lot. I'm asking because I'm trying to get into the lineup, and if these guys aren't ready. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Go ahead. Um, in Hoaglander's case, I think it's more about a young player with talent who is developing. And yes, coaching uh, is, is a part of this. But I think Nils Hoaglander was due for an ascension anyways. You're quite right that last year he had a step-back season. Really, he's had a couple of step-back step seasons since the Canadian division, the bubble, uh, when he made his NHL debut and was a, a terrific rookie for the Vancouver Canucks. Needless to say, that was a peculiar and unique year in terms of travel and all the things that, you know, common opponents and all the things that 
he became accustomed to thereafter and really didn't adapt to quite quite as well. But he's really coming. I mean, the even strength goals are, are high. I, I think he's one of the highest goals for 60 guys in the National Hockey League. He's a feisty little spark plug. He's he's not the most gifted uh, when it comes to talent, um, but he has found a way to be in the right spots, and he's a hound on pucks, and that's what Rick Tockett likes. And and so you're seeing him slowly but surely. And in fact, Tockett said a couple of weeks ago, I now find it hard not to trust him, whereas earlier in the season it was quite clear he did not yet trust him. So he's ascending up the lineup and in his NHL career. In Connor Garland's case, I think it's absolutely the coaching change. I mean, he had been tried here with so many different centermen under a couple of coaches in Bruce Boudreaux and Travis Green, and it just wasn't working. He plays a really unorthodox game. Like, he zags when others zigs. And so it was hard for the Canucks to find him line mates where he works. Well, in pocket system, I mean, it's very much a dump and chase and puck retrieval and hound with two guys in on the forecheck. Uh, that has been right up his alley. He has done all sorts of great work along the boards, retrieving pucks, turning pucks over. And, you know, the thing about Garland is he's better than your average third liner in terms of his hands and his offensive acumen. We saw that in, in Phoenix. Didn't quite translate to the Canucks over the first couple of years and really wasn't even translating to production through the first couple of months of the season. But that third line with uh, Teddy Bluger, of all people, uh, in the middle and Dakota Joshua, um, who was an NHL free agent who didn't have a ton of interest in him a couple of years ago, they've been outstanding for the Canucks for two months now. And it's really, um, it's easy to ask sort of whether all this winning would have continued because some of the forwards in front of them weren't necessarily having their best stretches of the season. And this line was just so consistent and picked everybody up. So yeah, they've been a big part of this, um, a big part of this success as well. Matt Zagaris joins us here on Sports 1440. Uh, Matty, the uh, the trade deadline, I've seen Jay Gensel's names. I, I'm hearing, uh, you know, Lindholm and Calgary are some players that uh, Vancouver have interest in. Is it safe to say, like, you know, if they can if they can make it work, you know, improving their second line is what they want? And is a center iceman yeah. more important than a winger? What do you think? Well, that's the great question here, Jason, because when the lotto line, as we call them, play together, that's JT Miller, Elias Pettersson, and Brock Besser, then it's absolutely the second line centerman, and you start to focus in on a guy like Elias Lindholm, maybe a Sean Monaghan in Montreal, or somebody who can undoubtedly play the middle. Now, uh, over the last week or so, the lotto line has been split up, so that's Miller and Besser staying together, and, and more recently, it's been with Pia Suter playing on their wing. Whereas that's the two Russians, the two struggling Russians, Andre Kuzmenko and Ilya Mikheyev, who've been flanking Elias Pettersson. And there just hasn't been a lot of bottom line with those two players. Mikheyev was good earlier in the season, but he's gone through a, an awful spell here. He didn't score a goal in January. And Kuzmenko, after that marvelous 39-goal um I always want to call it rookie campaign, but of course he was too old. So first NHL season last year um, has been probably the biggest disappointment on the team and isn't scoring and isn't playing the way that Tockett wants him to play. So one of the things that the Canucks have to do between now and March 8th is make a either make a commitment from a coaching staff that, okay, Elias is going to set his own line and we're on the market for a winger, or we're going to put the lotto line back together 
and you're on the market for a center. And who knows, guys, like that could be determined by the availability of players and the deal they think they can make, whether it's for a guy like Lindholm in the middle or whether it's for a guy like went against. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous to your contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Or somebody else on the wing. But, you know, Jim Rutherford was known for taking some pretty big swings and being an early mover come the trade deadline season when he was the GM in Carolina and in Pittsburgh. Uh, Patrick Alvine surprised us all last year when he made the huge trade for Philip Ronick out of Detroit from out of the blue. So I think it's fair to say that both these guys have the stomach for the big move, and it's just a matter of who it's going to be and when it's going to come down. Uh, what about cap space? How much cap gymnastics are they going to have to do? And uh, do you see anybody on the current roster that you would move out you know, to make that last seven seventy-five or $1 million work? They don't have a lot of space right now, Jason. They do have Carson Soucy on yet another injury, although I'm not sure you're going to be able to LTI him okay. for the rest of the season, nor do I think you want to LTI, uh, LTI him for the rest of the regular uh, season. He's He's been besieged this year. This is his third injury. So he hasn't had you know the amount of playing time that I think the coaching staff would want him to have going into a playoff series. So he'll be back in early March, we suspect, and I think figure he'll get like 15 games or so before uh, before the end of the regular season. So they don't have a lot of cap space. It is probably going to have to be dollar in, dollar out, unless they can execute a cap-shitting move. And everybody seems to think the guy there is Andre Kuzmenko, who's on a $5.5 million ticket for this year and for next, that given his struggles, but yet given his 39-goal debut, NHL season that there could well be a team out there that thinks they can rehabilitate him, looking for some offense, take on the player, uh, only have the one-year term commitment for next season if we're talking about a non-playoff team, and then all of a sudden the Vancouver Canucks have cap space to be able to go after one of the bigger deadline additions. And I have to say, I think that talk is heating up because I just don't think there are going to be many of the sorts of players that they're 
looking to add at this deadline who would be available and fit seamlessly without any kind of money going out. So, you know, that that's the way it looks right now. What I will say is, you know, we're not necessarily talking about the deepest group, particularly up front. So I think they also have to be a little bit cautious in terms of, yeah, it would be great to add a quality piece in the top six, but this is not a team that has a lot of quantity to begin with. So subtracting from the team right now is going to really force this good health to continue being a thing through the rest of the season. And of course, most importantly, in their first round playoff series. Well, Maddie, it's uh, it's going to be an interesting uh, year. You know, the orders in Vancouver, unfortunately, don't play again until the uh, near the end of the season. Um, uh, you know, they got their games. They had three in the first 12, but uh, none since. And, you know, I think the Edmonton team now uh, a lot different than the, the the tire fire that they were at that time of the season. So uh, mm-hmm. it would be a good matchup. I'll say this. So. I never doubted them, Jason. <laughs> I can remember doing our shows after all three of those wins from the Canucks, all of them lopsided. And I just said, there is no way a team with players that talented is going to be that bad for that long. And, and quite frankly, um, there are some delicious possibilities here. Uh, as you take a look at the first round in the Western Conference and who who could play whom. And, you know, it has been an awful long time, my friends, since we've seen a Canucks and Oilers playoff series. And if, if you're telling me that this Canucks team and that this Oilers team, which is on the verge of history, could find a way to play at some point in the Stanley Cup playoffs, well, I think that's sort of the series that people envisioned alongside the Battle of Alberta when we went back to this more divisional line, uh, alignment and looked for more divisional playoff series. Oh, hey. uh, Matty, just uh, one thing I ask. Uh, pound the drum on the NHL change in the rules. When there's eight teams in the playoffs and all four are four from each division, there's no crossover. I don't care who's in first and I don't care who's the eighth team. If it's four and four, right. you don't cross over. Because right now you'd have Vancouver playing St. Louis instead of L.A. Like, it's stupid. Right. Right. No, that's smart, actually. Yeah. yeah, I mean, like, I've always I've been a big supporter of of this of this playoff format. I know it hasn't particularly worked out always the way they wanted to, and I know there's been a lot of grumbling that you know two really good teams face each other in the two three matchup in the first round, and that weakens the playoff field going down the line. I get all of that, but in spirit, I love what they're you know as an old Smythe Division guy, and when I lived back east, an old Adams Division guy. Like, I loved those playoff series, and that's really how we drove rivalries, and it would be fantastic. Like I said off the top of this interview, it's been a decade since the Vancouver Canucks have been any good. It would be great to get some rivalries back because that's really the next step for this market and for this team. It's very true. Maddie, great stuff as always, man. We yeah, appreciate it. Thanks, Jens. Appreciate it.